Welcome to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast. I'm John Cook, and I'm joined today by George Goncalves, MUFG's head of U.S. macro strategy. It's Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Welcome back to the podcast, George, and a happy Halloween to our listeners. Thanks, John. Uh, you know, good to be back. I think this is a first. It might be maybe one of our scariest podcasts, too, you know, tongue in cheek. Ah, yes, yes. Nice little Halloween reference there. So again, uh, to our listeners, we are recording this on on Tuesday, or this episode rather, on Tuesday, October 31st, uh, which is Halloween. Um, it's also uh, it's also the end of the month, which means uh, lots of uh, index extension activity um, and, 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 and plenty of, of, of activity just in general. You know, the, the Bank of Japan just kind of uh, surprised markets, but also under, underwhelmed markets by making yield curve control a little bit uh, a little bit more flexible, um, as you as you mentioned, could be the scariest podcast yet. But I guess some keeping on this theme, you know, what has you fearful uh, at this point? Um, you know, I think uh, we've discussed on on in in recent episodes, uh, you know, sort of your your view that um, that higher rates eventually break something. Um, why don't we talk about some of the risks as we head into the end of the calendar year? Yeah, no, uh, John. So you know, as as you. As we all know, today is month end, and we have two months to go. Right, we have two months to go until the year end. And so, I think one of the biggest uh, kind of concerns I have as we narrow down and close out the year is that this is typically when liquidity becomes more precious. You know, balance sheets are harder to come by, and that sometimes uh, creates uneconomic outcomes. Um, and markets do things that just you know really sometimes defy logic, but in the end, it really comes down to the availability to li- of liquidity and and just uh, the pricing mechanism when there's less, you know, a kind of activity uh, as the year uh, comes to an end. So, you know, I think it's a, you know, really a, a combination of things. Um, you know, this higher global rates story, I think, will persist, although I do think, you know, we're getting to levels that are starting to become more attractive, which is one of the reasons why it's bit difficult for rates to stay up, especially in the intermediate sector. We've kind of flirted with the 5% level a number of times and really don't stay there for too long. So it's really unfair to say that we've actually seen 5%. If it's only for like five minutes intraday, I think I'd like to see a multiple day closing of 5% or higher, you know, allow the markets to digest that and see what that means for other asset classes. But nonetheless, higher global rates um, in the US really kicked off by the bear steepening that has been our call since the summer. I think that with higher term premium is gonna really leave uh, an imprint on other asset classes. Uh, and then, as you also mentioned, you know the news that we got overnight as well about what Japan did with their minor tweaks to YCC um, is also resulting in higher rates locally in Japan, which again, uh, this uh, the idea of the birds of a feather flock together. You know, global rates are fungible. Uh, investors around the world can pick and choose, and, and Japan investors themselves can determine to keep capital at home instead of actually allocating towards treasury. So I think all of this stuff gets much trickier from here into these thirty one, uh, and you know, central banks I don't think are going to turn and get constructive or, or helpful to the markets until something does break. So we're kind of stuck in this. What uh, you know, we'll get to uh, in a moment. This higher for longer paradox that the longer we're at high rates, it just ensures that we're going to you know likely see a more negative outcome, and that you know we really can't sustain high rates because we're a leveraged system. And uh, and from the flip side, from investor standpoint, those that do have cash and have an ability to buy you know on dips and get cheaper bonds. I mean, I do think that we are, you know, especially when we see these backup in rates, you know, both in 
in Japan as well as in the US, like this higher global rate story, if you have excess cash, I mean, this is the time to kind of average in. I think that, you know, these are getting to much more attractive levels uh, in the bond market. But again, because it's been such a rough year this year, and it's the third year in a row, most likely that we're going to see losses in bond markets. I mean, this is something bond investors have really never dealt with. And so it's understandable why there's a reluctancy to actually allocate capital here being hurt uh, year after year. But that's you know usually the time where you're supposed to be averaging into securities, you know, buy low and sell high, right? So I feel like you know this is where we are. Um, understandable why people are holding back, but I do think that we're getting to attractive levels. But it's kind of like you need the global high rates in order to actually expose that the macro conditions can't survive at high rates, and which then would result in eventual rate cuts in the future. But you kind of have to see one happen before the other. Yeah, that's a delicate dance there for sure. Um, you know, and this is something you're, you're, uh, you spoke about in your recent uh, macro to markets report um, titled, if, I, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the higher for longer paradox. Uh, in that piece, you have a specific topic on core inflation. Uh, you, re- you rehashed your housing views, which you covered in an earlier piece, as well as I think last week's podcast. Um, and you also give us your medium and long-term view on you know, uh, fixed income treasuries, uh, as well as the Fed. Um, lot of, lot of, um, covering a lot of ground there, a number of topics. Um, but, but why don't we pick a few of them to go over for our listeners' benefit here on the episode? Sure. Yeah. I mean, without going into all the details, uh, again, this this higher for longer um, a message by by the Fed, and you know, I think most central banks are going to try to do the same thing. Um, you know, really ignores the long and variable lags of tightening. It you know suggests that higher rates won't really impact the economy, but then you start to ask why raise rates to begin with. It assumes that eventually, if they have to cut rates and, and engineer a soft landing. They're going to do it slowly. And to me, that's a lot of assumptions right there and then. Um, and this idea that higher rates don't matter has been a, a theme that's kind of really uh, irked me for quite some time, this idea that rates don't matter. We keep hearing it every so often. They do matter, especially in a world that was uh, for 15 plus years at low rates. And it really locked the overall system with with uh, fixed rate bonds at you know, much lower yields. And now their prices are you know, deeply underwater. So there's been a, uh, even if it's not a realized loss, there's unrealized losses in the system and that changes behavior for uh, the system. Uh, I mean, banks have been holding back on credit uh, and that by extension is kind of how the channel is supposed to work. I mean, the providers of credit and liquidity, they pull back, that slows down the economy. The Fed is still having its monetary policy Effective. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like you know, been having second guesses, like, oh, monetary policy is no longer effective. I think it's just the the lags are just taking much longer, and and we're impatient around that. But I do think that this higher for longer paradox will resolve in eventually the Fed having to cut rates. It's just a matter of time. And so we kind of go into those topics. You know, we we also kind of uh, go into uh, why you know if maybe we're wrong, like why we would be wrong, uh, or more more succinctly. That you know we're more than happy to change our bearish views if we really do see a number of conditions met. Uh, and again, without spoiling it, uh, you know it's a long list. I don't think we're anywhere near <laughs> achieving some of these things. We're uh, I think a long ways off before we get Fed cuts, which would be what you should be doing right now. So if central banks are uh, forward looking, they should start to kind of kind of foam the runway to kind of slow the economy into a soft landing. 
the way we're going at full speed, high rates, we're going to you know, increase the odds of a recession. So that plus a whole host of other things going on globally is why I still stick with our view that we're likely going to uh, you know, skip the soft landing and go right to a more you know, harder landing. But you know, there's still time to change it. And, and I'm more than happy to change our view if the conditions change. Okay. Yeah, it seems reasonable. Um, you know, uh, we covered a lot of ground there. Um, we obviously have uh, the FOMC meeting tomorrow. It's been a really busy week. We mentioned the BOJ uh, tomorrow, you know, which is going to be today for most of our listeners. Um, we get the Treasury's refunding announcement. We get the uh, the announcement from the FOMC meeting. We've got the Bank of England uh, on Thursday, and then we've got non-farm payrolls on Friday. Um, why don't you tell us what you're expecting specifically from the FOMC meeting this week, but also from a number of the other key risk events? Yeah, no, that's right. This is a big macro week following even last week, too. So I think this sets the tone for the month. And as we know, this is also a holiday month. The next month is also another holiday month. So like people are going to be in and out. And I do think that the first couple of weeks of November really sets the stage for the month and then really for the end of the year. So I think this is super critical. Um, you know, BOJ out of the way, but I think it's gonna we're going to be digesting it for a number of days. Uh, up next, uh, you know, at, at the time of probably most people listening to this, will be the Treasury refunding, which has taken on a greater importance, and of course the Fed, and then we have the, the payroll numbers. But at the end of the week, so a lot to kind of chew through. Just you know, really quickly to wrap it up, um, the you know quarterly refunding announcement, which now has like its own nickname, the QRA. People are calling it. I've been doing this for 25 years, and and people never really called it the QRA like that. So it's kind of interesting that we've shorthanded it already and created an acronym. Uh, but it really goes to show you that the, like the broader, broader mits out fixed income are, are now focused on treasury supply. Like for years, people were not focused on it, but now because of higher rates, the higher interest cost on debt, and just these large deficits, everyone outside of fixed income is also really um, having a, a, a keen eye on what's happening with supply. Uh, that comes out at 8.30. Uh, and I, I think that you know there's still going to be a need for the U.S. government to keep terming out its debt. And it's not as if deficits are going to go away and spending is going to stop overnight. So I do think that the supply story is probably going to uh, you know, overshadow the Fed meeting. Uh, uh, you know, I've gone as far as saying that you know, in a weird way, the, the, the bear steepening and the term premium coming back into the Treasury curve is doing the tightening for the Fed. So in many ways, this is like the and we've heard even from Chair Powell at the last New York uh, Economics Club um, uh, event that you know that he's kind of like almost outsourcing this uh, their policy. As long as long-term rates stay high, the bond market's doing the tightening for the Fed, so they don't have to hike. So we don't think they're going to hike at this meeting. You know, actually, we think and we've been of this view really since July that both the bear steepening and tighter financial conditions would uh, result in the Fed not hiking again, and that the July meeting probably will go down in history as the last hike. But you know, too soon to kind of put that in stone. I think we need to get through this meeting uh, and see what uh, Chair Powell says for the upcoming December meeting. Does he keep it live? Probably does. He's in, there's no reason to take it off, but it's going to be you know, about the body language and the tone of the messaging because we're not going to get economic updates or forecasts from the Fed. This is an intra-quarter quarter meeting. So I think um, you know probably the best we'll get is another hawkish skip, no hike, keep the December hike open. But if it's not said with conviction, probabilities will keep dropping to zero. Okay, here to here. Um, so haw hawkish skip, um, but keep uh, keep December and also January uh, open. If I recall correctly, I think that's where we have still have peak funds. Um, so again, for our listeners' uh, benefit, definitely check out George's latest desk strategy report, uh, the Macro to Markets Outlook. 
uh, quote unquote, the higher for longer paradox. Um, and again, uh, for our listeners, for you who are not receiving George's strategy reports, uh, please do get in t- contact with George or your sales coverage. Great stuff as always, George. Uh, looking forward to see how the FOMC and the rest of the uh, this week's risk events play out. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. And thank you for listening to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to your MUFG sales rep for any further information. Check back soon for more insights from the Global Markets Research Team.